Hello and welcome back to another episode of Let Loose With Moose. Today I have one of the OGs. I have Grant from Blockmates. Hello Grant, how are you doing? I'm good Moose. Thanks Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm always amazed when people actually want to talk to me. It's usually on the other side of the, the mic I'm usually sat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm super honoured to have you on man. And of course looking forward to the rest of the apes as well. So I believe everyone already knows you, but could we just have a quick intro and background of yourself? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I'm Grant. I'm the founder of Blockmates. Um, I probably shouldn't be in this industry. I, I went to kind of university to study. Um, I was going to do a PhD in in kind of cancer research and stem cells and all that wow. kind of good stuff. That was actually going to make a difference, but now I'm just sat <laughs> um, writing and trying to build this aspiring media company in, in crypto and a bit more particular in, in DeFi. <laughs> Awesome. Well, but that's really cool, man. I didn't know you were like into science and stuff. Stem yeah, I should have been. It's hilarious. Like my parents and friends have just looked at me and said, what the hell are you doing? You've like worked all, all your life towards this. <laughs> um, but now I think they, they kind of understand it. <laughs> yeah. It must have been hard for them to accept this, right? <laughs> yeah, right. You've been in crypto for quite a few years now, right? Could you yeah, it was, share with us like your origin story or how we got started into crypto and all that? The stage yeah, is all it's yours. Very, yeah. It's very it's very, very embarrassing, but um it was it was whilst it's 2017 looking for things to do whilst at university, having no money, um, did a bit of kind of spread betting or match betting where you kind of arbitrage odds across um peer-to-peer markets and traditional markets in and on the sports book and then stumbled upon coinbase um through through a friend and then thought i was an absolute genius i was like oh my god this this xrp token is like three dollars if it goes to the price of bitcoin i'm gonna be like a millionaire <laughs> <laughs> so um literally bought the xrp top with way more of my student finance money that I should have and uh, then quickly had the decision to make whether just to kind of cut my losses or learn a little bit more about where I'd gone wrong learn about the industry and try and dig myself out of the hole so proceeded to do that and you know if it wasn't for I've got a kind of soft spot for Chainlink right because if it wasn't for Chainlink I think I was getting to the point where I was just like completely dumbfounded about the market and how everything worked and just thought that it was over and then a little thing called Chainlink and the link token came along and kept me interested enough because it was the only thing moving that and maybe like Ren Ren moved a little bit at that time if anyone remembers that and um, that kept me interested enough to kind of get me through to probably like DeFi summer and then shit started to get real (laughs) nice and like at that point, you were still taking your PhD, I believe. Yeah, so I I'd went on, I went on to do my masters, and then started really, really getting into the weeds in crypto. And at the same time, I was also looking at some of the PhD students who were coming in. So, so like, in if anyone works in like 
biology or they're working in a lab, if you're doing any experiment on cells, cells like to be fed. And sometimes that fell over a weekend. And I really, really hated the idea that I had to go in over a weekend, particularly when like the football was on. And I went in, I just looked at everyone who's doing a PhD, extremely miserable. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. So I went into like, <laughs> I went into biotech and biotech sales. And um, yeah, and after that, I was a lot of work from home stuff, a lot of working on the road. And I was finding myself ever increasingly for better or for worse, hopefully they never listen to this, that um, I was doing a lot more crypto research, writing, like anything to do, anything I get my hands on as opposed to like doing actual work. <laughs> so um, Don't say that. I, I, yeah, so decided to just kind of finish that off and just go full-time really. Oh, nice. Wait, sorry, could I check like which year did you decide to go full-time uh, crypto instead of pursuing your studies? So I think it was, I think it was early 2021. So in the, in the kind of midst of COVID, like me and my girlfriend at the time, now, now fiance, we, we kind of had a rush of blood to the head, both came in really sick of work. Um, she was doing like a really kind of frontline job and I was kind of sat at home writing about DeFi <laughs> whilst I was supposed to be at work and we'd always wanted to travel as well but it was like in the midst of COVID and we were like well I think we both just had enough and then we kind of there was like there was this like short gap for like four weeks where you could actually get to get into Thailand so we decided to quit our jobs I had to hand back like the car of my dreams <laughs> um tell my family I was going to Thailand in the middle of COVID because um, we wanted to travel and I think I think I picked up where I wanted to kind of take blockmates at the time. It was very very early days. No one was no one was reading, <laughs> but um, you know I just kind of took a gamble on it and I kind of got a good risk appetite. So we we did mm -hmm. that and the rest is history. I think. Awesome. Yeah, and I only got into crypto like late twenty twenty one. So. It was after you turned full-time when I first got my hands into crypto. <laughs> kind of crazy, man. So you're like the real OG to me. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Because I look at, I look at like, uh, well, Kobe's like one of the original OGs and then like mm -hmm. a couple of people who, who I remember from 2017. And there's a guy called Satoshi Flipper, if anyone's listening who knows him. He was, I think he was the, I got influencer pumped into buying Link, but it was at like, dollar fifty or something. So, um, I've got a, I've got a lot to thank him for and a lot to kind of hate him for at the same time. I think. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And wait, so if, if I remember correctly, you first the first token that you bought was XRP and Chainlink. Yeah. So XRP and then like quickly, aired a load of trading fees on Coinbase at the time and was, you know, furiously trying to make stuff back trading on like the the consumer app of, of coinbase which still to this day charges an absolute fortune and then um quickly found my way over to binance and then as things fizzled out and then Chainlink slowly came on the horizon i was probably i've probably still got residuals of like really really embarrassing residual balances <laughs> in my coinbase <laughs> app that memories. are more kind of embarrassing <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll wallet. call them memories <laughs> <laughs> probably more embarrassing than like someone's search history like seeing loads of xrp in your wallet but uh and then yeah i think i think i can't remember what time that was when link launched 
Um, but then, like, inevitably picked that up on Binance and then just sat and kind of watched that thing. You know, the first time you see mo- money multiply, like, extremely quickly, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a really strange thing because, you, you, one, you don't know how to exit. When do you exit? You kind of buy into the community aspect of it. And I always tell people not to become a community participant of any project because you get, like, dazed and confused around what you should actually do. And you feel kind of guilt when you inevitably sell and you probably sell a little bit too late. Um, but yeah, there were like the, the, the rememberable early tokens along with like some really horrendous ones that probably never made it out alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Thank you so much for sharing. It's really nice to hear like how you really got started. And next I want to touch on how did you end up like starting Blockmates? So you mentioned that you were start- starting to write a little bit in early 2021 or like slightly before that right and how did blockmates come about yeah yeah so um i'd like to say it was just because i wanted to have like a public good where people could read about what i've been up to but i'm quite inherently lazy so at the time i was kind of sick and tired of getting asked the same questions from kind of friends and close family and you know, people within the industry is like, oh, how does this work? How do you do this? How do you do that? Because you've got to think like DeFi summertime was crazy, hectic, and mm-hmm. people people were operating on particular dApps and on particular protocols that they they just didn't have the first clue about. If you if you bought crypto prior to that, unless you were like truly in the weeds, you would probably just buy on Binance and hold no transporting it to like some cold storage or some shit. Um, but when, like, the Uniswap and Dex and lending and borrowing and yield farming and all that kind of stuff came out, it was great for someone who's like naturally curious. And I think I think people have to be, and I think that's one of the best traits you can have if you're going to be in this industry. But when you're getting peppered with questions all day every day about like how you've done this, how you've done that, I just instinctively I didn't want to go. Um, I didn't feel comfortable enough to do any video or audio stuff. I still kind of don't to this day, <laughs> but um, so I was just like, right, I'm just going to leverage everything I've learned and put it on the page. And then you can, the beauty of a digital format is you do it once and you can, it can be shared to as many people as, as physically possible. So um, that was like, as I said, DeFi summer days and didn't really formalize it until probably until kind of like BSC started, like the whole BSC run started happening and then spun up like really $20 a month website on Squarespace and um, it was a, a lot of it then was basic how-to onboarders, explainers, this is how you do this, this is how you do that as I say because a lot of it was to try and gain some time back from walking people through things and like if people actually, I can't imagine anyone listening this was around that early but particularly in the whole blockmates thing, there was the website with explainers there's a telegram group and there was actually i was i was so stupid to put a free calendly link on the website where people random people from all over the world would just book like time in oh where my. i just kind of talk them through stuff um and that quickly got tiring very very quickly <laughs> but i'd like to think i'd played a part in getting a lot a lot of people on chain in the idea so um but never again <laughs> yeah i mean it's super nice like it takes a lot of uh, time and effort to sit down to talk to random strangers to kind of help them and I think you're a really nice person to do that yeah I uh, 
if anyone knows who Shitcoin John is, like he's one of my close friends from home. He like made bank off a lot of shitcoins, and at the time he was just like, "Why are you doing this? This is like, like you're just wasting your time. It's never gonna amount to anything." Um, he didn't see like any of the value prop, and I didn't really at the beginning. I was just like, uh, "I don't know. I think something might come of it in the end." And you know, you just keep chugging away, and like with with anything, I think if no. <laughs> Your in- initial kind of plans around what you want something to be will be so far removed from what it actually turns out to be in the end. Um, so I think I'm always one for just like starting something and see where it leads because I think like perfection is basically just procrastination in a different form. And I'm always more about action and then figure it out and break shit and then like iterate on the top of it. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was a weird to think back that that was actually a thing, but um, you know, I, I kind of kind of respect it in some instances but i'll never get that time back <laughs> yeah and you've grown a lot since then right and i believe it definitely helped that you did what you did in the beginning that kind of helps you get to where you are right now yeah i mean this is the account like the main twitter account is actually the second account because i was such an idiot of when i was mentioned earlier at the beginning of the, the chat where we, we moved to Thailand. The original Blockmates account was on a 2FA phone from the UK and I didn't update <laughs> I didn't update that. So if anyone's listening uh-huh. and they've got a, they value their account, just, just go into the basic housekeeping because losing that losing an account is really, really tough to kind of get yourself off the ground and you know work it back up. I think it's just happened to Steven, you know the calculator guy. Um, and he, you can see him kind of trying to run his account back up, but it's, a, it's an yeah, awful yeah. lot of work. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a long old slog, but we're slowly getting there, I think. Yeah, I mean, you guys are huge already, man. Uh, I believe it's definitely painful. I believe uh, I haven't gone through that, right? I hope I don't, but I would like to imagine that it's really, really painful to go through that. And I, I hope never like anyone has to go through it. The calculator guy right I saw so I've been trying to get him back uh, on like to spread the word right to get him on his new account I, I saw you guys done it as well yeah man Steven, Steven's such a good good guy like um, he is you yeah. know when you, you know when you you just get a feeling and like I've spoke to him interviewed him and came shared some ideas and things like that in the past but you just know his kind of heart's in the right place with everything and I think when you're creating content, um, there's a very, very fine line from which some people take advantage of. And there's also a basket of people who are just generally wanting to create and help elevate other people and try and just create the best content that's possible. So there's a very, very fine line that you have to kind of stick to. Um, and Steven's one of the guys that you kind of, you just have to respect like the the thing that he's built with DeFi Dojo and stuff like that and the amount of people he must have helped and onboarded and just shared valuable information. Like it's, it's sad to see, but he'll get back there. It's, it's just only a matter of time. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, the Dojo and definitely a lot of helpful stuff in there. And uh, moving on to the next topic. So for, as blockmates, right, you guys read a lot you guys do a lot of research could we hear a little bit more about your research process yeah so um it's it's definitely changed over the last 18 months or so but um just for the sheer amount of volume and 
quality, hopefully, that um, we churn out. Uh, it originally was just me, right? And then it slowly started to ramp up. And then there was just so much happening and you can't be everywhere at once. And you also can't be an expert at everything. So mm-hmm. it was then just looking for who who can we bring on to help with the research, with the writing. And it, it was really, I wouldn't say it was difficult to find writers, but if anyone's read any of the stuff um, or listened to any, we don't exactly take ourselves very seriously. And I think that's kind of one of the value props. <laughs> um, and the most difficult part was delivering the information in a, in a, in the same tone as what's came before it. So I like kind of, not skipping any detail, not skipping any depth, like having it as really to the point as physically possible, but trying to make it as lighthearted and enjoyable to read at the same time. So it wasn't it wasn't the point of getting good writers. There was so many good writers that I felt kind of bad to say no to, but sometimes when they were churning, churning stuff back, it was like a little bit dry, but like if, if it was for Mazari or Delphi, it probably would have been like fantastic, you know? But basically the our kind of philosophy is write about and try and commentate on stuff that you use, you think people should be aware of, that you'd like. Always trying to be heavy due diligence because one wrong project can kind of really tarnish your brand reputation. Yeah. Um and and trying to be trying to be f- not trying to be first. It's nice if we're first. And I hope like compared to some like media outlets that we we're probably one of the first to commentate on certain stuff. Um, but, you know, just like, I think it also comes across a bit disingenuous if you can kind of tell people they're just writing about stuff for the sake of it or kind of doing it for engagement. And we've tried to like steer away from that as much as possible. Um, and just trying to deliver like as much of the in-depth information as physically possible. That's really kind of actionable. That doesn't kind of skip over and assume that the reader knows some of the jargon that's in the industry because i think that's a bit of a barrier to entry for a lot of people and then um you know just bringing it in does it fit the tone of all the articles that have came before it is it on brand uh like all the points covered in there and yeah we'll get stuff wrong time to time it's it's just part and parcel of of creating that sheer amount of volume but um and then yeah just spin it up getting on the site and getting it released mm-hmm and I really like that you guys have the motto of um, DeFi that your dad can understand, right? Like just trying to <laughs> really break it down to simple terms so that regular people can understand. I think that's really nice. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have a question since you talked about you guys having um, multiple writers now, right? Like yourself, you have Jedi Dan, you have um, like 563 who went on recently on an episode with me as well. Do you have like, do you guys implement a framework um, across everyone so that you guys are kind of aligned when you're writing research articles or do you kind of have your own little style for each writer? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And that's a really, that's a question that a lot of people from the outside looking in wouldn't even assume was a thing, but it really, really is. So there's, for anyone who like wants to contribute or click come on board, obviously we're always looking for good writers that can deliver the information in the kind of, quote-unquote blockmates where like, that's a bit corny and cringy but like that's the way we look at it um and that's why it's been whittled down to the likes of emery 
five six three, Brown Bacon, Ollie, like KG. And there's a few that they get it. And what I also think it does right is if you can explain something to someone in a way that an average person should be able to comprehend it, it also makes sure that you understand what you you're saying as well. Because there's been numerous times where I've went to write like a thesis or an idea or like just trying to get it onto the page and then I write it down and I'm like, shit, is that actually right? <laughs> so I really have to check my understanding to it. And I also think if anyone's recently coming into the space and they're like, how do you kind of digest so much information? How do you get, like raise your own level of understanding about the space? Like writing or even recording yourself doing stuff puts this kind of inherent pressure and internal pressure on yourself to make sure you do actually understand what you're talking about. And I think it's a bit of a growth hack. So even if we didn't have like this platform, media company, whatever you want to call it, I'd probably just do it for my own benefit anyway, just getting the words onto the page and just trying to churn it out. Um, but for the rest for the rest of the team, when they're writing stuff, yeah, there's always that. It's not like a strict adherence. It's just always just try and deliver something that you'd actually want to read. Um, there's so many, what I, what I would hate more than anything is if you were reading something and you didn't know it was from us, like as it came from Bankless, as it came from Mazari, as it came from Delphi, between the three of them, you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Um, but there should be like a specific tonality that are delivered in the articles, the newsletter, um, maybe even the podcast because we're so unprofessional about it. <laughs> but it, it. People should know that it's, um, it should have a certain kind of motif or a twang to it that they know it's come from our camp effectively. Does that, does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you guys, actually we're kind of aligned there. So like the the path they were taking is the unprofessional path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like we had a tagline of four apes, buy apes and um yeah, I don't know which one I prefer more, but yeah, it's like, uh, I think like there's too many people in the industry that just take everything way too seriously. And I haven't left a very professional industry to come and do the exact same thing in a different environment. You know, I just like want people to enjoy what they're doing. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I wouldn't do like 12 to 16 hours every single day if I didn't. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that has to kind of resonate across a brand. And that's not like, that's not a manufactured thing where if you've got this marketing agency and said, oh, this is what you need to do to be kind of personable and um, like likable. And like, it should be like, if you look at kind of what would be a good example, like Barstool Sports, like Dave Portnoy just does what he wants to do and like people like him for it. Um, and I think it's the way that we deliver stuff is the way it is, is because we can't, we kind of don't know any other way to be honest. Like we're never <laughs> going to be like an extremely overproduced extremely polished um because i don't really like to digest stuff like that like podcasts that are like really really overproduced and i just feel like it's a bit you know i feel like they're trying to pull the wool off my eyes a little bit i like like, really organic conversations like you do here um and you know i just like want to churn out stuff that i'd actually want to listen to or digest myself awesome yeah i I prefer not to do scripted stuff i i kind of have a few topics in mind but uh, kind of go go along with depending what your answer are right and then you can just go down that path yeah, yeah exactly that's that's the way i'm that's the way i think that's the only way like you can tell other conversations not genuine 
Yeah. And we've had we've had like certain I'm not gonna name any names, but we've had certain guests where they've came with these kind of pre-packaged questions and you you say this, then we say that, and I've just said <laughs> no, this is this is not happening. This is not like NPR or, <laughs> or like Planet Money or whatever. That's some shit. It's right. Like how hard is it just to have a conversation? It's it's really not that difficult. <laughs> yeah. And and I do think like it gives a certain plus point in, in my opinion if the project founders or whoever you're speaking to they can just go right off the bat like they have the things all 100%. in their head right like they don't have to go and memorize a script or refer to some materials it's all in their head and that's when they are really good yeah and like if i always feel like if they try prepare questions or whatever shit they're up to it i just always feel like there's an angle or like there's a like there's a motive for that um, and I'm definitely not going to be the like puppet that allows them to just spout off this kind of paraphrased line that they've kind of worked on for weeks. Market, I, I just just don't do it. <laughs> Anyone listening, please don't. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and and moving back towards the the question of your research process, right? Uh, I believe you you go through a lot of things. So my question to you would be, what would you consider your best source of information? That's a that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, is depending on at what stage of the the product or project it is, you can you can go different places to get the best source of information. If it's live, like the easiest place is to go straight to the source. One, try it out yourself. Two, check what's actually happening with the contracts. Three, check what's actually happened with holders, users. LPs, you know, what's happening with vesting, just go direct to the source. Um, you can kind of get away with going to project documents, but sometimes they're a little bit biased. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, And one thing I, I do really love about this industry, and one of the things that I'm pretty sure you'll benefit from, we benefit from is, um, I've said this on a podcast before, I think with Nick Drake on, is... People just like building an account to try and just build up the numbers for some kind of vanity perspective just doesn't make any sense. There's so much you can leverage from that. Um, If you can get into a founder's messages or get them on a call or get in Discord and know you're going to get a response because they've got some perception that you're, I don't know, some sort of personality in the space, which Mm -hmm. couldn't be further from the truth. That is usually such such a like an asset to have if you can get a founder on the call and actually dissect them and have a conversation with them if it's on camera even better because you can kind of judge by body language and just kind of get a read on people if they're full of shit or if they're actually you know like a good person trying to do the right thing so going as close to the source of the information as physically possible is always good um at the at the other side of that argument i also don't believe that the phrase if it's already on twitter it's too late sometimes i don't think that's true at all um, for some stuff, yes, it certainly is, and some stuff's extremely coordinated. And if people see what went on behind the scenes with some <laughs> some of these groups that people get thrown in, it's it's extremely coordinated and very very transparent, in my opinion. But like the best source of information is just being curious, just trying everything out. Sometimes just by being curious and trying to get over to somewhere where people wouldn't want to look is like the most alpha you could ever derive from anything. And I think you sometimes inherently just pick up what's good and what's a bit rubbish. Um, so I think 
best source of information, as I say, close to the source as possible. But the only way to get that is just by being naturally curious, I think. Awesome. And I actually like that you mentioned that it depends on the stage of the product that we are talking about, right? Like if it's live, go check out their product. If it's not, then like go dig in their docs or like just check it out from uh, other sources, right? And I also really agree with the, the point you mentioned where you had a chat with Nick. Uh, I do remember hearing that portion where he said where you're kind of a, a figurehead you're known as more legit, right? And you get this access, this opportunity to talk directly to the founders, which I do agree that is definitely a huge, advan- huge advantage. But the, also, the right founders and the good founders will speak to anyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> who did I, who did who we have on the other? Like the, um, Loris from Insert Finance, mm-hmm. they, they do more customer outreach than any project in this space in my opinion they, they will like jump on a call with someone who might have three followers on twitter like not that that's a be all and end all of everything but if they were using that as a litmus test to kind of are these actually going to be beneficial as a user those guys don't care they want to get on a call they want to figure it out so i'm not saying it for the sake of it's a kind of secret weapon that you hold up your sleeve if you've got a larger larger account excuse me but you know the right the right founders will be responsive and re- will be receptive, um, and that's kind of a it's a bit of a bit of a weird kind of thing to pick up on. But the right founders are really responsive to everyone, and they don't just kind of look for people who might have influence and benefit their pockets and project. I think. Yeah, but on that point, I do think that it might be hard to differentiate who are the trollers and who are those who are genuinely interested in the project. Like you mm-hmm. mentioned, you you did that Calendly open for all at, at the start, right? And it's really <laughs> exhausting. So if I were to imagine a project founder doing that, it's going to be, it, like, my question would be, is that the the best use of his time instead? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think particularly with, if you have Discord set up properly as well, and maybe a few kind of bits of gating around who, who can actually get into Discord and then you were running kind of quite frequent like workshops or town halls and things like that. I think that's a you know, it's a it's a way to kind of leverage everyone to be in the same place and particularly if you're recording it as well. But yeah, I think just like constant communications is always a good sign. Um if what I always find as well is like during really bad times, particularly times of crisis, communications in, in this space are really, really terrible. <laughs> um, so, you know, if founders can kind of deliver consistent information that is not kind of full of pumponomics and announcements of announcements, it's usually a, a good good signal in my opinion. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I do think it's a good idea. Like, you can just do uh, weekly or bi-weekly calls in your Discord where people can come in and just pop on the stage towards the end to ask questions. I think that might be a better uh, time allocation than going to individual calls with like a hundred different people, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and all right. Now let's talk about um, your opinion on the markets now, uh, moving towards the end of this year and moving into next year. Where where do you see the markets going? Um, 
my heart says up. <laughs> my head says I don't have a clue. <laughs> I am an inter- like eternal optimist bull, but I I just can't get a read on it at all. Um, like it's it's hilarious that we're only correlated to traditional markets to the downside, so we've kind of missed a missed on like a really great roaring S and P and Nasdaq and like AI baskets running and tech recovering and things mm-hmm. like that. And I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, we definitely had a a bounce, but nothing to the extent of what's been happening in uh, in equities and things like that. So, um. I honestly don't know. I don't want to sit here and say this is what we're going to do. This is what, not what we're going to do. Um, I just really like to just play it as I see it and as it comes. But at this point in time, I just have no read on it whatsoever. Um, you know, but always, always got a bull cap on. So hopefully that comes true for once. <laughs> yeah. Could could I say that you're kind of still invested, um, or, or would you say that you're kind of more towards the sideline right now? Oh yeah, I'm I'm always just fully invested. This <laughs> is part this is partly my downfall. Like, um, I'm kind of that meme where I think there's like a, a rotator meme where he's he's just he's never held a stable coin for longer than ten minutes. But <laughs> I'm always always dabbling, always kind of trying stuff out. Um, maybe a bit stri- extreme saying ten minutes, but um, I like to have a position, even if it just doesn't skew completely bullish like try and get a little hedge in there as well but um yeah i always like to have something open something to do and itchy fingers like yeah itchy (laughs) fingers (laughs) and you you mentioned the the topic of always trying something out which brings to my mind something that's new something that you have been trying out recently it starts with f (laughs) You're gonna embarrass me now, aren't you? No, no. So I'm actually not in your friend tech group. So you want to share a bit more about that? I, I've seen you posting quite a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. The Blockhole, uh, Blockmates Incorporated Corporation. The shareholders in there. No, it's um. I think it's. I think it's quite. F- fascinating and i you know what i don't even think the product itself of trading shares is the impressive part i think it's the semi abstraction away from defi complexities that makes it interesting so the whole idea that you could download it from the website save it to your homepage strikes up a wallet that's powered by privy which is kind of an account abstraction wallet provider being able to load up on base and then just operate directly off the phone that that's equally as impressive if not more impressive than the idea you could just dump a load of bitboy shares <laughs> i think <laughs> um but yeah and like towards like a larger thesis around end of 2024 into 2024 it's for me all i'm looking at is who's whose sole focus is onboarding. And I know, like, I can imagine the Uniswap wallet is going to do extremely well for onboarding if they can implement some form of gasless transaction on there as well, just to remove that confusion of 
I want to buy the next shit coin. I don't have ETH. Why is it telling me I need ETH? I think they'll be able to do that, particularly with Uniswap X as well. Um, a lot of is it like synthetics are coming out with Infinex. So I'm more, I'm definitely playing Frentech as like a shitcoin casino. <laughs> but I'm the part I'm really interested in is it being mobile first and it semi-removing complexities of onboarding because I think it's I think developers are sick of the same 50 people using the apps and they want to kind of cut through the noise and into the realms of what could potentially be possible so that's as that's why I'm kind of interested in it but I I love the kind of shit posting in, on front tech as well I get what you mean on the removing part of the complexities because like you mentioned the guestless transaction and then being mobile first right but then I, I also think that it might not be as convenient to, let's say, let's say our parents, right? Because they still have to set up a MetaMask or a Rabi wallet and then they have to load their funds in there and from there, they have to transfer funds onto Frentech, which mm-hmm. I don't really think it's that convenient as of right now, right? Uh, we're not sure how they can improve on this uh, in future, but I don't. I really don't think that it's super convenient to new users. To us, I think it's relatively convenient. Like you don't have to sign an additional transaction or something, pay extra gas. But yeah, that, that's my kind of take on it right now. Yeah, I mean, what I can imagine will happen is, and I've already seen them tweeting about it, but Coinbase will use this as a great excuse to push their self-custody wallet um, and make the onboarding process to base with ETH as seamless as physically possible. I could probably see them implementing gasless transactions as well. And there's um, there's a provider, like an on-ramp provider called OnRamper, like really inventive name, <laughs> that... Uh, it's kind of like on-ramp aggregator. And so you could start mm-hmm. off from any any fiat currency and you effectively tell them what asset you want on what chain and then they'll find the best on-ramp provider from fiat to crypto. And you tell awesome. like the destination address. So, And I know these guys, excuse me, are working with a lot of these kind of products that I wanted, wanted to head to mobile first or just kind of, you know, just remove a couple of the steps away, which I think is drastically needed. So I'm really optimistic about where we're heading and getting to the point of, you know, as you say, like our parents or like I've seen people complaining that no one's going to use it because it's it's too confusing because he has to use a bridge. Like we probably take it a little bit for granted because we're still hobbyists and tinkerers um, and particularly if you're left now in the space, you're definitely a hobbyist and tinkerer because mm-hmm. you know all the all the people who came for the money are gone. <laughs> um, so you probably take for granted how much of a pain in the ass it is to actually navigate around DeFi. And I think we'll probably look back in five years and think how the hell did we actually manage to do that? <laughs> um, so like, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about where the space is going. To bring in the next however many users and like, you got to think that like, coinbase have got over 100 million verified users like god knows how many people are left like it's really difficult to assess active accounts isn't it because you mm-hmm. might have 
10, 10, 20, 30 wallets that, and you might use a couple of them if, like over the course of a week or whatever. Um, so it's really difficult to assess how many people are left. Friend tech could be a kind of good indication of who's left, who's willing to actually operate. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's we're moving in the right direction. And I, apparently all the conferences this year have been about account abstraction. Um, I think there's probably a lot of kind of mental masturbation going on there and people trying to find the best EIP to actually implement that and all that kind of stuff. But what really matters at the end of the day is getting it into people's hands and getting people to use it um, and not having them worry about having to have ETH to pay gas and why mm-hmm. they need to and why they've sent um, ETH from base to Arbitrum and it hasn't landed and, and all that kind of stuff that we know and just take for a second nature and like anything yeah. that we can get towards a, a time where it's chain agnostic and chain abstracted away, then it's, I think we're, we're going to be in a good place. Yeah, totally. I think it'd be super great if like you could just, uh, I don't know, like top up your, your wallet from your bank account or something. And then mm-hmm. everyone just, it's a one-off thing. And then everyone kind of just uses your wallet on from then on. It'd be great. I mean, yeah, we're definitely up, not there yet. Top right? up with that. Yeah, top up with Apple Pay or Google Pay or like some yeah. chain that just you got ETH that lands in your yeah exactly friend tech, friend tech account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about that in that way, right? Like, if Apple Pay or Google Pay just kind of accepts or like adopts Ethereum as a payment, and I think that will really bring the adoption rate a lot higher because everyone's really using it and it's so seamless. The cartel of the app, the app, like the App Store cartel and the and the Android cartel. It's like, but but what is also encouraging? You've seen the Uniswap wallet, you've seen Axie Infinity get approved. I'm pretty sure there's something else quite recently as well. So that you can see they're definitely warm to the idea. And if Apple just go, yeah, fuck it, let's 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 allow it then Android obviously have to cave as well because they're not going to miss out on any of that revenue. Mm-hmm. But the only issue is, the only issue is like their 30% tax or whatever it is for in-app, in-app purchases. One, how are they going to enforce that? And two, like who foots the bill for that? Because protocols aren't very profitable at, at this at present <laughs> when they don't have to pay a 30% tax. Mm-hmm. Um, NFT kind of, um, whoever's selling NFT is not going to pay like a 30% tax right. on top of that on top right. of five percent royalty or whatever it is so it's a it's a bit of a funky one um but i don't know i'm yeah. sure it'll get resolved <laughs> definitely something interesting oh and and speaking of that so I'm, I'm based in singapore right and today something interesting happened so mcdonald's singapore actually just released one of their nft collectibles this afternoon <laughs> and and it was actually so easy to to mean one because you just go into the McDonald's app, you tap into that collectibles page, and then you kind of link your MetaMask to it, and you just click min, and they cover the guest, and it's a free min. So, uh, it was actually... Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't read into it. I think it was Polygon, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was Polygon. So, I think that is one step uh, move, moving forward, right? That it's something that we are moving towards, and... Yeah, who knows what, what we can see from, from now on. So, kind of like you just need to have a MetaMask account. You don't even need to have money in there. Not even for gas. Like, no Ethereum, no nothing at all. 
so it was pretty That's, cool yeah yeah um who i think it's gelato who can provide gasless transactions and the protocol can also opt to subsidize the gas so um one it could be like using something like gelato to enable a specific like gasless mint and then the actual underlying protocol has like a reserve of eve to actually pay for the transactions and they have the, uh, the contracts to allow that to happen so when I interviewed him probably six months ago i was just like yeah it's just shit like that you know it's just just think a little bit more ahead mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's 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 there or it's on the horizon and it's you know if imagine mcdonald said oh yeah but you have to you have to have matic in your wallet to mint that yeah, and I'm like what? There'd be like three people who minted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the collection was, uh, the collection size was two thousand, and it was gone in like I think ten minutes or something, super oh, quick. Yeah, and I think this like it was one of the iconic characters, and they're probably gonna release a few more to the, for the entire set or something. But yeah, all right. Um, we've been chatting for quite a bit. Uh, I wanna move on to get to know a little bit more about you, Grant. Uh move away from more the, the block mate side or the crypto side let's hear about your kind of your daily routine or like could you share a day in the life of grant yeah for sure so um morning probably get up 7 7 30 so i've got well, i've got four dogs at the minute wow because <laughs> we've there's technically 12 we've rescued um like it can't have more than four. And, well, we've got six in the house, but the two of them are puppies. Um, so we take those four to the beach, go for a walk, get a coffee, wake up, have like a bit of a slow morning, try to go to the gym because I'm getting really fat and I'm getting married in October and I need to get in my suit. Hey, congrats. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Um, then get back, have some food, and then probably start like 11 a.m. my time. Uh, I'm based in Asia myself at the minute, and then it's quite nice. I think I, I really, really like not having to get out, get up, and get out of bed, and then just hit a meeting or like start work. I, I really love the idea that I can have like a bit of a slow morning and then wait for like Europe and the US to come, like market to start, and then everyone come online. So then probably work through till 11, 12 o'clock. Um, maybe a bit late, depending on if we've got any meetings or podcasts in, in the US. And get up and do it all again. But I'm I'm really strict on taking weekends off, and I like tell the team that they're not allowed to do anything on the weekends. But <laughs> nothing catch Jerry nice. shitposting. Weekends are just for shitposting, and and they're not for anything else. Because I think um like burnout is really easy to come by, particularly when you're working long hours. And the last thing I'd want is to get out of bed and just like dread the rest of my day. Um, mm -hmm. had that had that in a previous profession and. There's, there's no worse feeling, you know, and it's, it's sometimes because you just feel a little bit trapped and you're just like in this Groundhog Day environment where you're doing the same thing over and over again. But um, yeah, really strict on weekends, trying to switch off. The occasional shit post comes out, but <laughs> that's kind of, <laughs> I suppose that's a week, week in the life for me. Nice. And what about like some of your hobbies and short-term of long-term goals for yourself or even for Blomit's brain? Yeah, hobbies. Um, 
I haven't really had time to do anything aside from what? look after the dogs, go to the gym, and then occasionally see friends on the weekend. <laughs> but um, I've recently started playing paddle, and I don't want to sound like one of those idiots who picks up a sport and just like tries to like throw it on top of everyone. But um, paddle is like such a sick game. <laughs> I'm really bad at it, but it's so, so sick. I'm actually playing tomorrow. <laughs> Wait, paddle is a, a, a sport? Yeah, so it's... um. Best way to kind of think about it is right. So it's a racket sport where it's probably around three quarters the size of a tennis court, and then the back wall and the sides are squash walls. So you can play it off the back wall, or you can play it off the side, and um, it's like a doubles game. But it's oh, nice. I think it's like fast, the fastest growing sport in Europe, and you can kind of see why because you can be absolutely terrible at it, like me and. So, thank you. Thank you. You're amazing. <laughs> nice, nice. I, I just went to Google it. Yeah, it looks pretty much like tennis. Yeah, I'm surprised there's no. I, I guarantee there's a there's a court near you. I guarantee there's a court in Singapore. So that and I suppose goals for blockmates is. I just want it to be the biggest. <laughs> ED company in crypto. Nice. Yeah, that's kind of like, the, the the end goal for you. Yeah, I, I'm like. I'm too stupid to stop as well. Like I don't know when when enough's enough. So um like we're not going anywhere anytime soon. Like we wanna just get that to ridiculous levels because I think if I think if we tackle it from the perspective of just trying to be as honest and as hold as much integrity as possible, but deliver like content that people actually want to read or listen to or watch, then um I don't think there's a lot of competition. I think a lot of the competition is kind of incumbents of Mazari and maybe Delphi. And, and if Bankless are the best media outlet we, we've got in the space, then we've done something wrong as an industry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're coming to take over. Nice, awesome. Rooting for you, man. <laughs> Thanks. Right, and... Oh, I, I just kind of had a random thought. I wasn't planning to ask this. Um, you guys are doing a meetup in Singapore, Token 2049. Yes. Uh, are the details out yet? Could you share them? Or <laughs> So, what can I say? Uh, I think it's going to be the Tuesday or Wednesday. So we'll get you some tickets, Moose. It, Yay, thanks. It's not, it, it's not <laughs> going to be a little... It's not going to be a little event, <laughs> and you might see some familiar faces who are yet to launch, but it's going to be a big one when they do. So there's around four or five people who are hosting it and sponsoring it. Um, I, I we we're doing it with the flywheel guys. That's one mm-hmm. of the other kind of hosts, but um, I think by the time this is out. The details will be out, so I'll send you them over. <laughs> but um, you send me uh, send me your details and however many tickets you need, and we'll we'll get you on it. But it's going to yeah. be a good one. Awesome. I, I can't wait. Um, there's so many people I just haven't met. Yeah, prior. It, it's kind of um, like my my first event to meet so many people as well. So super excited. Yeah, it's um, it was Singapore last year was great because like it was talking 2049 it was like a really bad time in the market and if if you'd have dropped someone there and said 
are we in a bull market or a bear market? But you, they couldn't look at trading view. They thought we were in like the biggest <laughs> bull market of all time. <laughs> Everyone was just so optimistic, and I was like, "Yeah, we need to go lower. This is we're too bullish." <laughs> it's kind of an idea, man. Like, just go around doing the event and ask, "Are you bullish or bearish?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, we need a big flush. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, let me let us wrap this up soon. So, could you share with us what is your greatest takeaway from being in crypto? Yeah, the greatest takeaway from being crypto is the fact that anonymous and pseudo-anonymous people banding together on Telegram and Discord can create billion-dollar companies. And the traditional way of working, being suited and tied and being on time for this specific meeting and having 45 meetings a day and having all these specific KPIs and just being completely by the book isn't always the right way to do do shit. Yeah, we can we can definitely mature as an industry, definitely grow up when we need to at times. But um, the idea that just anonymous people band together on these kind of open source projects and just make shit happen is like always fascinating to me and never like will never cease to amaze me. I think. Awesome. I mean, I'm not sure on the being punctual for meetings because you were pretty punctual earlier. I think I was more getting at just the endless amount of meetings where mm-hmm, you sit yeah. and no, no one actually gets anything done and it's just like, why are we yeah. here? Could this, could this not have been a text? <laughs> yeah, imagine like, your whole day is filled with meetings and then at the end of the work day, you actually did nothing except sit in meetings. It's kind of a waste of time yeah. sometimes, yeah. It, I think people like to look busy or perceive, like, give off the air of them being busy at times and I just, I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome and my last question to you could you give me three names for future guest nominations to come on the pod <laughs> and you can't name the other two apes right because I'm going to get them on <laughs> after you alright so I can't name those so um, I think Andrew Saunders would be a good one mm-hmm. from from Hashflow previously Arbitrum that yep. guy's legend uh, who would be good um, SBF <laughs> uh, from, from J-O-A. J-O-A. yeah you know you know who'd be a good interview and I think you do do a good and it wouldn't necessarily have to be around the project that they're releasing but Matt from Tapioca he's just got so many good stories and anecdotes and like ways he looks at the market and ways he thinks about it and sometimes it gets lost because he's constantly talking about tapioca but if you can actually sit him down sit him down for like one hour and like just pick his brain on stuff he's like he's such a good character to be around that sounds nice (laughs) nominate matt i nominate uh andrew saunders he's just an absolute legend and just trying to think of a third one. Have you had uh, Ouroboros Capital on? No, I have not actually. I, I've seen them in quite a, they've been quite active recently in a lot of projects, but that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, he's he's absolute legend. He's got a good team there as well. I think they're, they'll probably be out to 24-9 as well. But yeah, there's there's three good guests. Nice. I'd, I'd, like to listen, I'd like to listen to those three. 
Awesome. <laughs> and it's a really good nominations. I, I do look forward if I do get a chance to speak to them as well. Um, yeah, and thank you so much. That kind of wraps up everything I have for you today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, before we go off, do you have anything that you want to talk about that maybe we didn't touch on? Uh, no, just, uh, yeah, thanks Thanks very much for having me. I'm, uh, as I say, I'm always amazed when people actually want to <laughs> ask me shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't find, I don't find myself that interesting, but yeah, I've, I really appreciate it. And um, if anyone's at Token 2049, hopefully we'll have space for the event. But if not, what I think we're going to do as well is just have, just say we're here at this specific time and just get some beers in for everyone. And yeah, just, yeah, just, just let us know. We'll be about. Nice. Sick. All right. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Grant, for taking the time to come on. And thank you to the listeners who are tuning into this episode. Um, you guys already know Blockmates, but if you don't, you can check them out in the links in the description below. And we will see you next episode. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Before you go, do remember to give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button so you never miss a thing. Comment down below what you liked about this episode, who you'd like me to interview next, or any topics that you want to learn more about. Until next time, this is Moose moving out.